0: here's what we're going to do today, is um, I want to tell you a story, and it's a story from the Old Testament, and um, it's, it's really what I think represents the heartbeat of our church, which we've talked about as Jesus changes everything, that's what our bracelets are about, things like that. Oh, by the way, a couple things. I, I, I'm like kind of all over the place today. Uh, you would think, caffeine, Anyway, Jesus changed everything, bracelets, those are coming, We've had them in order for a long time now, so we had like three thousand, and then they were gone within the first weekend. And so we ordered a forty-five hundred more kid sizes things like that. But guess where they're from? China. Yeah, so they're they're going to be delayed. Um, so it'll be here at some point. Uh, anyway, so that. Oh, also, I saw this. Uh, I don't have social media. I. Uh, I just, it, it's too much for me, and, but my wife has social media, but she's fasting from it, um, and so um, someone brought us this video this week of one of our youth staff, and they said, oh, this is so funny. Um, this is one of, the, uh, one of the youth workers, and they just got out of surgery having their wisdom teeth pulled, and they're hilarious, and I thought, well, if that's publicly available, I can use that video, Right? Yeah, it was on Instagram. Okay, cool. Let's use it then. Uh, so I wanted to show you. I just think this is great. Okay, this is the her like, her reaction driving home, wisdom teeth out. I just love what she's thinking about. Okay, so watch this. I love people so much. You love what so much? She does very huh? Huh? hurt. hurt. It hurts? I'm huh. Hurt. You're what? I'm sorry. <laughs> so I can't. <laughs> 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 the last part yeah so the last part was if you didn't catch it the last part was she said did I ask the nurse if she loves Jesus or not so her first thing coming out of surgery was did I talk about Jesus or not and um, luckily her mom uh, filmed it so I think we have a quick clip of that Jesus? I, I do know Jesus. I love Jesus. Yes. Love oh, thank you. Um, so. I love the commitment. That's good. <laughs> That's funny. I love that commitment. All right. So if you are not asking people about Jesus, you're messing up. All right, you're messing up. Okay, um, so here's the story. It takes place in the Old Testament, about 850 years before Jesus, and it's in Second Kings. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, or you just want to follow along on the screen, Second Kings, Old Testament, 850 years before Jesus, we introduce we're introduced to the main character, Naaman. Here's what it says, uh, chapter five, verse one. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had given, him, uh, given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. And so we get kind of, this is like the Bible Instagram snapshot, okay, is we get his resume right up front. Here's who he is. Here's his LinkedIn profile. If you went onto his page, he would have tons of followers. He's like the guy that we all love to hate because he's got the model wife and the super cute kids, which, yeah, I don't want to brag, but I'm, <laughs> I kind of fit the bill so far. Hey, girl. Um, Laughter. <laughs> ah, right. Anyway, uh, but he also has like a beach house, and he's got uh, nice cars, and he's got the career, power, successful, well-liked, all that kind of stuff. And so this is, the, uh, this is the guy that we all love to hate. But. Now, that's the next sentence in the thing, by the way, is, is, is but. Now, here's the thing with looking at people's snapshots, looking at their resumes or their Instagram pictures, is you don't get to see in their pictures their but. I mean, some of them you do, and you got to get real. Those are called influencers, and you got to get past those real quick. But in the pictures, you don't always see the people's but. Because their picture-perfect life, yeah, they have a, an incredible career, but their marriage is a mess. Or, or maybe their marriage is great, but their kids are a disaster. Or maybe it's that their kids are great, but their health is declining. See, everybody has a but in the background. And no matter how picture perfect your life may be or look to other people, everybody's got this thing in their background. Here's Naaman. It says that Naaman was a leper. He had leprosy. Now, if you know anything about leprosy, and unfortunately it's been cured, um, it is a nasty disease. It is a skin disease that begins to eat away and kill your nerve endings. And what happens is uh, your, your fingers and your toes, your nose, your ears, all the extremities, they start to decay and fall off. And you end up looking like, kind of like The Walking Dead a little bit, pretty grotesque. When I was a teenager, my dad took me to India and they had just cured leprosy there, but there was lots of people living in leper colonies who still um, had the, the effects of having leprosy. And so many of them were missing their, their noses and their ears, and it was a pretty haunting sight to see. And so this not only was a, a pretty dest- uh, destructive disease, but it also left you in isolation because it would kill you slowly. And so you'd be pushed out of the community for the next 10, 20 years until you finally die. And so Naaman has to face what many of us try to avoid or deny, and I like to call this the illusion of self-sufficiency. And here's the illusion of self-sufficiency. We believe that if we can just get enough money, enough accomplishments, and know the right people, then we're gonna be able to control the world around us. We'll be able to control our, our health, We'll be able to control our relationships, that we'll be able to make sure that our kids are safe, and that they're educated, and that they're successful, and somehow we believe that we, if we can just accumulate these things, that we're going to be able to keep control of our life. We're totally self-sufficient. But it doesn't matter what you have done, what you accomplished, Naaman, incredibly successful, eventually something or someone is going to turn your world upside down, and there's nothing you can do about it. Think about it. It could be something that's done to you. It could be a health issue. It could be a betrayal in a friendship. It could be a financial meltdown. It could be something that you yourself do to your own life. You make bad choices. You have character flaws. But whatever it is, you will eventually have your world turned upside down, and there is nothing that you can do to change that. And so Naaman has to face this reality that there's nothing he can do to fix the problem that he has. And this may sound familiar, because um, for those of us um, who are familiar with AA and all the, the 12 steps, or those of you who are in recovery and know someone in recovery, the first step is you have to admit that you are powerless. You've got to admit that you're powerless. Now, AA didn't come up with this idea. This is from the Bible, is the first step to finding healing, or at least finding the solution, is you've got to admit that you are powerless, that there's nothing you can do to fix your problem. And so this is right where God wants Naaman to be, is he wants him to come to the realization that there's nothing he nor anyone else is able to do to fix this. Verse two, now bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So the Syrians in, the, in Israel were next door neighbors, but they're also enemies. And what would happen is Syria would come in, they would attack the Israelites, and they would steal all of their food, their crops, and their people, and turn them into slaves. Verse three, so uh, she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so we're introduced to this character, it's a young slave girl, she's unnamed, but she was taken from her family, but she was at least old enough at the time where she, they still thought of her as valuable, where they could raise her up as a slave, but she knew enough to know that her God was the true God, and she had a faith in this God. And in fact, she was aware of prophets that were in Israel, one in particular that was able to do miraculous things, maybe even cure leprosy. For Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Syria replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And so their thought process was, okay, if there is this guy who's able to do these, these powerful and miraculous things, he's either gonna be the king or he's gonna work for the king. And since we're not really on good terms, these two nations, we're gonna send him a bunch of money and clothing and goods in hopes that he's gonna help us out. Continues on to verse six. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? So you got to imagine the scene is the enemy, Naaman, is riding up to the king of Israel. He's with his guys, his army. He has this letter, and the letter says, I have leprosy, and I need you to cure me. Now, I love the king's response here, because the king's response is, look, I'm a king. I have a lot of influence. I got a lot of power. I got a lot of wealth, but I can't do what only God can do. I am just a man, now, don't you just for a second kind of wish that our political leaders had this kind of insight and self-awareness? And No? Okay. I didn't say which side. I just said, Paul, yeah, you're so sensitive. Okay. Uh, the king also was um, a little bit skeptical because he thought this might be a trick. He thought, okay, you're going to come ask me to heal you. I'm going to say I can't. You're going to go back to your king and say that I refuse to heal you of your leprosy. And so now you have an excuse to come and to attack us. And so uh, Elisha, Elisha, who is a prophet in Israel, hears about what's happening, what's taking place, the drama with the king. And so he sends a message to the king and he says, send Naaman to me, I'm gonna take care of everything. Verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Okay, so let me give you the modern context of how I imagine this taking place. Okay, this is the book of Cody. Here's how I think it would go down is let's imagine that the vice president had some disease and he goes to the best doctors in the world and nobody can figure out what's wrong with him. And so he's talking to his friends and advisors and they say, you know, I heard this rumor that there is this poor preacher who lives in a trailer in Bakersfield. If you, Sorry, Bakersfield. If uh No, Bakersfield, sorry. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, okay. So he's desperate at this point, and he decides, all right, well, you know what? I've got no other options. There's nothing else that I can do. And so he gets all his guys together, Secret, secret Service. They get in their black Suburbans. Uh, they roll to Bakersfield, get up to this trailer park, go and knock on the door of this poor preacher's house, and he doesn't answer. His cousin Larry does. So cousin Larry comes to the front door, and the VP's standing there, and he says, oh, did you want to see Elisha? like, Yeah. That's kind of why I'm here. I heard that he might be able to do some miracles or something. Yeah, he's busy right now. Busy right now? You live in a church. I can see him. His feet are up on the dinette table. He's watching Netflix. He's not busy. I can see him. He's right there. Yeah, yeah, like I said, he's busy. Uh, Here's the deal, though. He said that if you go to the irrigation ditch out back, jump in it seven times, you're going to be fine. Now, you can understand that the vice president might be a little upset. He might be a little offended, and that's kind of what's happening with Naaman right now is he says... I have come all this way and you can't even come to the front door, which by the way is like here, you know, like how, so Naaman says, uh, or Naaman's about to leave, and um, as he's about to leave, there is one of his servants around him, and he kind of gives him a timeout and says, whoa, 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 let's reconsider this. He had some good dudes around him, and we're able to help him see some things a little bit more clearly, which is why we kind of push people to get into groups around here, is It's because there's going to be those moments in your life when you're not seeing things, and you need some good folks around you that are going to go, whoa, 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 let's calm down, and let's rethink this. 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he's saying, you know what? Settle down, dude. Like if he told you to go and to like slay a dragon or pay an enormous amount of money, you would have gladly done it. But now he asks you to do something so simple and you're offended by it. What's the problem here? I think the reason why Naaman was so angry and insulted is because he wanted to earn his healing. He wanted to prove that he was worthy of God healing him. I'm a good person. Do you know the influence that I have? Do you know the wealth that I've accumulated? Do you know that my status? I deserve this. God should do this for me. At the root of Naaman's problem was pride. The reason why he was offended is because to go and to do something so simple and even silly is something that a child, an elderly person, anyone could do this. But a person of his status, there's got to be more to it. This is, this is almost too insignificant for me. I think this is kinda of why people reject the gospel. Cause when you think about Jesus, and I, you know, maybe you believe in God, maybe you don't, but when it comes to the person of Jesus, I found that everybody likes Jesus. Now they may not believe in Jesus, but they like what he had to say. He had said some really good stuff, and so everybody likes Jesus, but then when it comes to Jesus' message of salvation, people are offended. And here's why I think, and this is just, again, my thoughts, but I think people get offended by Jesus' offer of salvation for two reasons. One, because they believe that they can fix it. A lot of people know that they're messed up, and that the world is a mess, and that, you know, things are falling apart, and God probably isn't all that happy with them, or at least on some of the things they're doing, if there is a God, And, and so they know that things are messy, but they believe that they can fix it that I'm going to make this better, that I'm going to, that I'm going to somehow control this situation. And so when Jesus comes with the message of salvation, what it is saying is you are so broken in such a mess that you can't fix this. Only God himself can do it, and that's offensive because we like to think of ourselves as a good person, that somehow we're going to be able to make this better. And this was Naaman's problem. He knew that he was broken, and was pretty obvious, but his pride wouldn't allow him to admit that he couldn't fix it or that he was somehow deserving of this healing. Second is this, is I think um, some people don't believe that they are actually sick. A lot of people don't think that they're sick. I hear this all the time, I'm a good person, I have a good heart, and so when they imagine God looking at the things that they know aren't really right and that don't align with what he's doing, here's kind of how I imagine them thinking about their relationship with God is kind of how I think about my relationship with my two-year-old son. He is insanely, insanely cute. I'm, I'm growing out a mullet on this kid, which is just, whoo, it is going hot right now. And so... He is so cute and he just learned to talk recently. And so what he does is he'll jump on the couch and he'll start throwing iPads like they're useless. And it's just, he's just having a grand old time. And I'll yell at him and I'll say, Jed, stop jumping on the couch, stop throwing things. And he'll look at me like this and he'll go, sorry. And I'll go, okay, <laughs> he's so cute. Look at him, just jump a couple more times. It's a couch, who cares? You know, you're so cute, go and do your thing. I kind of think that that's how people think that God views them. Oh, Cody, you're so silly with all those things that you're doing. Okay, I get it. But maybe that's not exactly how God views our rebellion. The, the things that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we are doing. And I really do believe that this is the primary reason why people don't see a need for Christ's message of salvation is because they don't believe they're sick in need of a Savior. The more secular our society has become, this concept of sin has become more and more irrelevant. And so if we don't have a concept of sin... The problem, then we don't need a solution, a savior. There's a, um, there was this, I don't remember where I saw it. I think it was on a, maybe I was listening to a podcast or something like that, but they were describing what's called Anton syndrome. Fascinating. I did a little bit of research on it, and what it is is if someone has a head injury, and as a result of this head injury, they go blind, but they don't know that they're blind, and so they will believe that they can see things clearly, but they can't see anything at all. And so uh, if you ask them, hey, um, can you read what's on this board right here? They'll either make up what they think that they see or they'll give an excuse of why they can't see it right now. Or if uh, I said, hey, what am I wearing? They'll either just totally make up something that I'm wearing or uh, they will uh, give an excuse. And they're not intentionally lying. They truly do believe that they see things clearly, but in fact, they are blind. And when I heard about this symptom, I thought, oh, Yeah, we have that too. We have that on a spiritual level. We're spiritually blind. And it's kind of obvious, because if you step back and you look at your life and you look at the world and you see what a mess it is, and you see all this stupid... So here's how I know that your life is a mess. If I was able to just put your thoughts for 24 hours on a screen, you would have no friends at the end of the day, (laughs) right? You're a mess, I'm a mess. And we can all agree that the world is a mess, and yet somehow at the end of the day we can still say, but I'm good. I got a good heart. I'm a good person. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Let's get this machine made so we can put it up there so everybody in the world knows you, me, not good people. I think that this is this spiritual blindness that we have. Elisha was making making this point when he sent a uh, a messenger instead of going to the front door, and when you made him do something silly like jump in the river, is he was telling us very profound truth that we see throughout the scriptures, which is if you want to receive God's healing and forgiveness, it's going to take humility. You're going to have to acknowledge and come to the realization that you're spiritually sick with this thing called sin, and there's nothing that you can do that's going to impress God. Think about it. What are you, go- what are you going to do that's going to impress God? This infinite God, you got something to offer him? It's sort of like my kids trying to like pay rent at my house. You're going to give me, it's already mine, dude. Those toys, mine. No, 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 those toys are mine. I let you borrow my toys. You think you're somehow worthy or deserving? No, 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 no. That sucking sound is you constantly consuming uh, your entire life. You've done nothing to, is this too real right now? Is this too real? Am I, are we in a counseling session right now? (laughs) Is this, oh, okay, okay, okay. I think, that, I think that when we try to impress God, it's kind of silly. It's like, what, you're going, oh, good job. You did it. Uh-huh. This is an infinite God. This is a holy, this is a perfect God. And so we're going to do nothing that's going to be able to impress Him. It's simply by God's grace that we are forgiven. And we, our job is just to accept it and to live by it. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And so he he humbles himself and through this humility finds the healing that he's looking for, but what's strange is what he says next. Because what he says next is not, I'm healed, finally I'm cured of this leprosy, I've been given back these days of my life. No, he says something far more profound. He says, verse 15, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. See, he went from I have this, this felt need, I need to be cured of my leprosy, to this realization that I've actually just been cured of my real need. See, Naaman's felt need of, of healing, that was great that he was healed, but that didn't actually accomplish what you think it does because it was only temporary. Naaman still died. Now, God may have given him a few more years on his life and he had a little bit less suffering, but the end result was still the same is he still died in the end, and so uh, clearly the healing from the leprosy, although a good thing, was not the ultimate thing, was not the real thing that he needed. His healing of leprosy was just a symptom of his real need. And so a few years back, and I was, I was reminded of this story this week because my dad had a similar experience, a few years back I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life. Like, I was, it was just pounding, it was one of the most, most painful experiences, and so I'm just, you know, on, whatever you can give me, and, and help relieve the pain a little bit. But it didn't take it away, because that, that pain was simply a symptom of something that was deeper. What was really needed was a root canal. And so I had to go get a root canal, and that actually addressed the real issue. I think a lot of us, we see our lives, and we see all the things that are broken, and we go, okay, if I can just fix this relationship, if I can just fix my health, if I can just fix my finances, then I'm going to be okay. Or if we can just fix these societal issues over here, then we're going to be okay. But what I think we're doing is we're addressing the symptom, but the real issue hasn't been addressed. Because do you really think that if you fixed all of those things and that would be great and we should try to fix them, but do you think that if we fix those things that you would be whole and, and healed and complete? No, but here, here's how I know this: is because we live in the most prosperous, safe, equal societies in human history, and we're miserable. And so clearly by getting more wealth and more safety and more health, although those are good things, have not brought the satisfaction that all of us are looking for. It hasn't addressed the real problem. And so our felt needs, I think, are pointers to what our real need is. And until we address that, we're going to be taking Tylenol when we need a root canal. Jesus talks about this in Mark to he has this interaction with a paralyzed man. If you know the story, these friends bring their paralyzed uh, friend to to see Jesus, they work really hard to get him, they go through a roof, the whole thing. And they finally get him in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And you got to imagine that the friends who just did all of this to get them in front of him, you're going, that that's not what we're here for, dude. (laughs) Do you not see, he's paralyzed, okay? And I would imagine that Jesus' response would have been, but if you knew what his true need was, his real need, you would know that he's just been healed. And then he says, now get up, take your mat, and walk. You've been healed. See, what Jesus is saying is the same thing that uh, Naaman came to realize is that his felt need was a pointer to his real need, to be reconciled with his creator, to be forgiven of his sins. And that is the deep the deep need of our souls. Let me end with this, is, Last question. Who is the hero of the story? Who's the hero of the story? So think about it for a moment. Uh, If you were to look at the hero now, of course God is always the hero of the story. He's the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of human history. But if you're looking at this specific story, who is the hero? Is it Naaman? Naaman's great. And he's the main character. And he had, you know, he took a leap of faith. And and I think that was important. But he was pretty desperate. He had no other options. He was kind of in a corner. So I don't think he was the hero. What about um, Elijah? Was he the hero? no, he didn't even come to the front door. Now, God used him, and obviously he was a powerful man uh, and being used by God, but he wasn't the hero either. The hero actually gets very little mention in the story. It's that young slave girl from Israel. She's the real hero of the story. Let me give you two reasons. Reason one is because she was a pointer. Her background is that she was taken into captivity, She was um, taken from her parents, which in all likelihood, they were killed in front of her eyes. Her siblings were taken into slavery, just like she was. And then she happened to be given to the leader of the army that just destroyed her and her family and her nation. And she got to live as a slave in his house. Now, you would imagine that she would be pretty bitter and angry, because I definitely would be. And so the day that this master of mine finds out that he has leprosy, I am celebrating inside I'm going, yes, I have a front row seat to seeing what this guy, getting what he deserves. I can't wait till his fingers start falling off. It's gonna be a show. And I get to kind of relish in the fact that I know how to fix him. I know who can actually help this man and I'm not gonna tell him. But she doesn't do that. Instead, she does the very opposite. She pleads with him that you have to go and you have to see this man. He has the answers to your problems. He's the one that can heal you. And so not only is she a great example of kindness and forgiveness and compassion, and, and not only did she be, was she a pointer to the one who could bring him healing, God, but she was also pointing to how God would bring that healing, but not just for him, but for the rest of the world. Let me review her story again really quick. She was taken from her home and separated from her father. She was innocent and yet experienced incredible suffering because of someone else's sin. Instead of allowing them to experience the punishment that they deserve, she showed them compassion and forgiveness and love. And ultimately through her suffering, salvation came to the rest or to to other people. Now this story hopefully sounds familiar to you because about 850 years after this, this was pointing towards the one who would ultimately bring healing and hope to the broken world. Jesus would arrive on the scene And he would have to leave his heavenly home and we'd be separated from his father. He was innocent and yet experienced incredible suffering because of our sin. Instead of allowing us to experience the punishment that we deserve, he took it upon himself. And because of this, we now have the opportunity to be forgiven. See, she was a pointer. She was a pointer to the one that ultimately would come and offer us salvation. And so let me just just kind of be really frank with you as we end here. I think we're either one of two people in this story. Because whenever you read a story, you kind of wonder, what character would I be in this story? If that were me, where would I be in here? And I think that there's really two options. Or really two good options. You're either naming and you're broken, and you know it, and you came here, and you're not even sure why you're here. Someone dragged you, or you just stumbled upon this place, and you're just going. But you know you're messed up. And you've been trying to fix yourself for a long time, and it is not working. Or... Maybe it's that you know that there's something not quite right with you But you're not willing to admit that you are sick and in need of a savior I think naaman's example in this story is the answer Of course is to come and to humble ourselves and to say I can't fix this I'm sick. I'm broken and I need a healer And so maybe that's why you're here today Maybe that's why someone dragged you or you stumbled in here is because You're broken whether you want to admit it or not And there's only one person that can offer the salvation and the healing and the hope that you're looking for. Or you're the young slave girl. You know God and and you worship this God and this God has brought healing and continues to heal your life. But now it's your job to do something with that. It's your job to become a pointer so that you can go and you can see the people who are hurting around you and you can bring them hope and healing because you know the one ultimately that they're looking for that can bring them the, the, the salvation that they so desperately need. And so that's kind of the heartbeat of our church. That's what we're about. We want to introduce people who are like Naaman who are looking for some kind of answer. We want to introduce them to Jesus and we want people who know Jesus to go out and become pointers for the people around them. And so my challenge for you would be, if you're a Naaman and you're looking for maybe some answers and you got questions and you got hurts and you know it, maybe it's this Jesus that can actually give you what you're looking for. And if you're like this young girl who you know Jesus, it's time for you to get to work. It's time for you to look around and say, you know what, God put me here in this specific time and place, even maybe with these specific pains that I've had, in order for me to be a pointer to the ultimate healer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for being so good to us, um, and there are many of us. We've all been in Naaman at some point in our life. We've all felt this pain, and as we try to fix it, and as we try to wrestle with it, we may come to realize that we can't solve this, that we need someone greater, and, and luckily, you were the one that came, and you dealt with that on our behalf, and so, Lord God, we just need to humbly accept that, accept that offer of salvation. Some of us have been given an incredible gift that we, uh, we have been able to come into a relationship with you and you have changed our lives dramatically and you continue to change it and yet we need to become the hope of the world in which we go out and become a pointer where people who can come, who are lost, who can come to, be, come to know you. And so Lord God, we want to go out and we want to make your name great. We want to continue to build your kingdom. We want to continue to be used by you. And so, in this coming, we give us opportunities, give us encouragement. We're fasting and praying for it. We love you, Lord. Today we pray. Amen.